previously on Kerning Cultures. The brain drain is a controversial topic because some people say, oh, come on, there are so many, you know, educated Egyptians, highly skilled Egyptians in Egypt, and we're such a big population that there's not such a big difference. Other people say, no, actually, the effect that their leaving has on Egypt is, is still profound. When you leave a country to go to work to another country, it's actually a big calculation. It's not only about, okay, I'm having a good business opportunity somewhere, I'll get good money, and it is different. People who decide to stay are really strong and really brave. And people like us, or me, are not brave enough or not strong enough to go back anymore. So if you sign yourself up to go back to Egypt, you're signing yourself up for a big fight. We live in a modern world of constant migration. People leave countries, enter countries, leave countries again, and it's becoming easier to pick up and leave a place that is deemed too tough to live in. As we heard in our first chapter, Egypt is rising on that list of places and tops the ranking of Middle Eastern countries for the one with the highest rate of emigration, as in people voluntarily leaving Egypt to live elsewhere. And this high ranking is understandable, too. There's corruption, serious poverty, congestion, problems in infrastructure, political uncertainties. When I speak with many Egyptians, it almost seems like the country is too far gone. I think being born an Egyptian is, is really a very unfortunate thing. Everybody's leaving. So it's either everybody has left or is trying or failed to get a chance to leave. Uh, it's really hard to live there. Like in Egypt now getting your kid in school is almost every year is an, a new BMW or something. Imagine paying as much every year for one kid. Uh, basic stuff like food, shelter, security, education, even even medical stuff. It's really hard to secure now. Back home, you sp- you're just exhausted and you're going nowhere. You're going in circles. It doesn't feel nice. I hate myself for seeing this, but I also don't want to fool myself into seeing something that's not real. Um, missing home or the memories, it's more of the illusion of the memories. I'm not sure they're there anymore. And if they're not, then there's nothing to go back to. Today we're continuing our exploration of whether, and I fully recognize that this is provocative, but it's more common a perception than one might think. Given the luxury of choice of where they'd like to live, would an Egyptian today choose Egypt? Hello? Hi, Sylvia. How are you? Hey. Try to speak closer to the mic. This is Razan, our executive producer. Let's see. I'm trying to think of how... What if... Do you have a sweater or a scarf you could put on top of the laptop and your head? <laughs> I know this sounds really weird. We're just trying to get the... I do have a scarf. Hold on. Okay. Is, is this better? This is infinitely better. Thank you so much. I know this is weird. <laughs> no, but I will take a picture and send it to you. Like, this is, <laughs> this is new. I've not done this before. <laughs> Sylvia was such a trooper on our call, helping us to achieve the best quality audio. And I think that image of her hunched under a scarf does such a great job of epitomizing her lightness of heart, which is what drew us to her in the first place. Sylvia moved back to Cairo a few months ago and has been documenting her absolutely hysterical day-to-day experiences on a Facebook page called The Cairo Chronicle. And this is how we first heard about her. But let's backtrack a bit first. 
Sylvia is half Dutch, half Egyptian, born in the UAE, where she's lived about 28 years of her life. She spent another seven during her primary and secondary school years in Cairo, and would go back to Cairo often thereafter for visits. She had a great job in Dubai, a tight circle of friends. She ticked all the boxes. Dubai is a beautiful place to live in. Uh, everything is new and sparkly. Um, the day-to-day life is very easy. It's very organized. It's very clean. It's very safe. And then a few years ago, these nagging questions came over her. But uh, I don't want perfect. And when you're in your 30s, you, you have different questions. And so it's, it's the, the, those questions are, what's my value here? What's my purpose? Uh, what is it that I want? Dubai, uh, on a, from a work perspective, is a very competitive uh, arena. And so uh, you're constantly on your toes. Um, and I just, at the end of the day, I would come back home and I just wouldn't feel accomplished. This is not a hit at Dubai. Dubai is a wonderful place. But for me, at this age, um, you're not connecting with people. Apart from the people that you, 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 your social group, you don't connect with anybody else. And not because you don't want to. So you don't feel like you belong to anything. One of the things that, you know, a lot of people that, not only in Dubai, I think in the GCC will, will sort of um, also confirm is, you could live in a building for 10 years and never know your neighbor. Now that's not an important thing for me, or for, I, I don't think anyone seeks out to, to know their neighbor, but it's sort of, um, there's something strange in that though, that you could live in a place for 10 years and never know your neighbors on, on the same floor. Not to mention they consistently change. Um, and so you're, you constantly feel like you're in transit. Um, and that does not help as you grow older to feel that you are um, settling or settled or part of a community even, because you're not. At the end of the day, you're as good as your residency visa, which is obviously um, connected to your job. It's rare for a non-GCC, GCC meaning the Gulf countries. It's rare for a non-GCC national to receive citizenship, which means most people will always need a residency visa, often tied to jobs or property ownership, but that route is less available. So even though Sylvia had lived 28 years of her life in the UAE, it wasn't home. But I guess it's... A lot of my friends, the ones that are very close to me, or even people within my age group at this point are now married with children. So I'm not married. And then, and that basically means that I don't really have anything to sort of keep me here anymore. There's nothing to pull me to this place. And Dubai at the end of the day, and like any other country in the GCC, it's not home. And you're gonna have to leave at some point. But then my mother passed away about five years ago. And then I had this, you know, like this really strange pull. I felt like she's been calling me to come back to Cairo. So um, last May, I decided to go for a holiday in Egypt. I have my sister that lives here and my eight-year-old nephew, who I don't really have much of a relationship with because I live in Dubai and he lives here, obviously. So I went to Cairo for an entire month and it was the strangest thing. I felt happy. Packing up was easy, very easy, but it was really interesting to see my whole life in two suitcases, which was really something. Two suitcases, that's it? Well, no, two suitcases that I had with me, I had to ship about six suitcases, but that's still little for 18 years in Dubai. It was literally to see that and to see that I've spent 18 years here 
was um, it was a moment. It was a real moment. And then, and putting that into perspective, I sort of thought, this is it. This is all I have to take with me. It's, it doesn't account for 18 years of my life. And when I saw that, it made only more sense to leave. Were you concerned about the economics of moving to Egypt, though? Because a lot of what we've been hearing from Egyptians who took the opposite decision from you and decided to leave Egypt is that they couldn't find good enough work at home, and that's why they left. Did you take a financial hit when you decided to move back? My decision to move to Cairo was an emotional decision. However, I did have to factor in work. So I hadn't really tried the Egyptian market until uh, about two years ago. And I, it's a gold mine. <laughs> you have 90 million people here. Uh, so a lot of them want to leave. Wait, what do you do for a living? I run an immigration consultancy business that I've set up here in Cairo. No way. <laughs> I offer services um, to clients who wish to immigrate to Canada or Australia. And I realize this, the irony of this, considering the topic of your your podcast, which is The Brain Drain, and the fact that I've recently moved to Egypt. (laughs) The irony of this was not lost on us, believe me. And we were also curious, in some twisted way, if Sylvia was making it work in Egypt specifically because others couldn't, and so she was helping them get out. But she told us, no, actually, the majority of her clients come to her looking for a plan B, a second passport or a permanent residency elsewhere in case a crisis hits Egypt again. They're not looking for a plan A out. They're literally just looking for a backup in the event of an issue. Egypt is not, you know, it's not a piece of cake. It's a hard life here. Um, and I know what it, what it is that I was heading into. Because when I first got here, I was, I was depressed. I was very depressed. The first few weeks, I was very depressed. It was really hard. I was, uh, you know, fixing my mom's house. I wasn't, I wasn't settled into the house yet. I was living in a hotel. Um, it was really hard, um, and I was extremely stressed out. And I missed my friends, and I was out of my comfort zone. Um, the fact that I'm single, I live alone in Cairo, is not a common thing. Where do you live in Cairo? Well, I live next to a very old palace here in Cairo, called Asr al Oba. And it's actually the palace that Barack Obama stayed in on his first visit. To be in the timeless um, city of Cairo. It is a very rough neighborhood apart from the palace. <laughs> but I wake up every morning to the marching band in the palace, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Uh, I can hear them. Um, and so I, I, I hear the marching band every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. You can hear traffic. I live up on the 11th floor. It's it's noisy. It's a very noisy city. So I take a regular taxi to, to the office. So in the morning is when I actually meet the cast of characters on the way to work. And every cab driver is just, he's a character. Um, I had a conversation with a taxi driver. He was wearing the traditional Egyptian galabeya, which is not common, actually. I haven't seen that in a cab driver. So when I got in, he was asking me where I was from. And so in Arabic, I told him I'm from here. Like I met the neighborhood and I said, Hina. Hina in Arabic means here. And he misheard me and thought I meant Kina, which is a city which is known as the Said, you know, the farmland. And so he got so excited and he's like, see, one Saidi will know the other Saidi. 
So he automatically thought that يعني, I'm Saidi just as him and I have a big forehead, but that's because of my Dutch heritage. It's got nothing to do with being Saidi. And the guy was just so enthusiastic. And then on the way out of the cab, he said, I hope you become the president of Egypt, which I thought was hysterical. But here's the thing. This is a guy that has very little education, who comes from um, a very conservative background, as do most people do that come from the farmland, and had no problem with a woman being president. You know, which I thought was amazing. That is amazing. And I think captures the energy of Egyptians beautifully. And Sylvia has countless stories like this. I arrived to Cairo. The next day, I went to my mother's house. This house has not been opened in five years. And so that's, um, you know, in, in Cairo with dust and, and all of this stuff. It was, the house was in a mess. So I tried to connect the internet. Apparently this is just not, everything here is a mushkila, you know, like the basic things here is like a big deal. So I was trying to connect the oven to the gas. And then I asked the web, the, the doorman, you know, to get the gas company he said, oh, you know, this is not that easy. And I just sort of looked at him and said, why am I the first person to buy an oven? Why is it difficult? And so it's just the struggle of getting this done. The internet took me almost two months to connect because we had to pull a telephone wire from the Kushkoerd. You know, the, there's like a little kiosk of flowers underneath the building. And I thought, why does this guy have all the telephone wires? It makes no sense. How, how do you find the humor in all of these? Because some, some people would be going, you know, would the satellite guy would show up at 1 a.m. in the morning and he'd be really pissed off and it's taken two months for the Wi-Fi to, to have connection at home and that slows down your productivity and maybe you can't work from home and your connection to your friends, so you just left. How, how do you find the humor in it? Listen, it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. For two months not having internet is frustrating. It's frustrating not to be able to get things done uh, as and when you need them. Um, but I think that if I come with the expectation of I'm not going to deal with it, it's going to make me miserable. I have to find the humor in it. And it's, I don't even have to look that hard. It's there. These light moments make things funny, you know. Um, but I also, I'm not, I'm not helping to the scenario either. My Arabic is not that fluent. I had the plumber come in and I wanted him to clean out the drains. And the, the word for drains in Arabic is mawasir. And I asked him basically to clean out my hemorrhoids. I told him, Isaac, I'm not mawasir. And the guy just looked at me and he was mortified with what I was suggesting. And he's like, I, I don't think I'll be able to clean out your hemorrhoids, you know? And so it was really funny. And I just, who else is going to take this kind of humor, you know? And this is one of the nice things about Egyptians is that there's no shortage of comedy with them. <laughs> and that community Sylvia was searching for in Dubai, that sense of belonging, she's finding it in Cairo. The norm in Egypt is that people who buy their homes never leave them. It's rare for a new tenant to move in. So when Sylvia moved back into her building a few months ago, she created such a stir amongst the neighbors. And there's this one character of a neighbor, Madame Amani. Honestly, she is a real character. She is a woman who has literally been waiting for me to arrive her entire life. Basically, it feels like she's found her long-lost best friend and has decided that I'm it, whether I like it or not. Um, so half the time I'm trying to escape from her, but I do get very strange SMSs from her in the middle of the night saying that she misses me, which is very creepy if you are in Europe or in the US, you know. But 
I actually understand, you know, like <laughs> in a strange way, she's she just wants to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did she know you when you were a little girl? Did she know your mother? Uh, she did know my mother. Um, I don't I didn't know her. But one of the really nice things is it was really nice to to know people that knew my mother. Um, and that for me is I love hearing the stories about her. Course. You know how you said that you you were in your 30s and you had all these like questions that you were asking yourself in Dubai, kind of about who you were, what your purpose in life was, and kind of where you belong. Like, are you finding those answers in Cairo at the moment? When I first got here, I went to my mom's graveyard, and it was of course traumatizing for me, uh, as always. But this is exactly why I'm here: is to be with her. And you know how it's, they say Masr Umad Dunya? You know, Egypt is the, is, is, is the mother of the world. And it's because of my mother that I feel all of this. I know that her wanting me to come back is because she knows that this is going to be the best thing for my life. So when I went to her graveyard and I just sort of cried and cried and cried. And then afterwards, I just felt really calm. You just feel like I'm, I'm still connected to her, even though she's dead. I'm still connected to her. Growing up as someone who's half Dutch, half Egyptian, you're torn between two worlds. So I'm not fully Egyptian and I'm not fully Dutch either. Um, I've always been very close to my mother. Uh, my sister and I have both been very close to my mother. And so we've always leaned towards the Egyptian side a lot more. And when she passed away, it sort of felt like everything that I was holding on to in terms of my identity was also gone. I found very little reason or purpose after she died. And so I couldn't, I couldn't understand what it is that I needed, what I needed for me after she passed away. This part of my identity, she's part of my identity, and coming back here and, and being very close to her makes me feel whole. And that's very important to me right now. It's really beautiful. Like coming back to Egypt has been reaffirming of your identity in some way. And that makes sense because where we come from often plays such a huge role in shaping us. This whole, this whole concept of brain drain, and as, as I'm sure you know, Egypt is actually, it has the highest rate of emigration relative to the Middle East. Um, and and it, it's a huge issue for Egyptians. And statistically, it's the individuals who have the highest formal education on average who are leaving the country and they're applying their skills elsewhere to other countries, building other nations' economies. Do you, do you think that we owe anything to the places that raised us? From, from that perspective, those who are leaving, do you think that there's some sort of a moral obligation to Egypt? What I personally think, <laughs> I think your only moral obligation is to yourself um, and whatever that shape or form that comes in. But, uh, but again, I do hope they end up coming back and, and using that experience for the better good here in Egypt. And sometimes you need to leave to come back a little bit stronger. You know, there's no doubt if I had stayed in Egypt um, after high school, I might not be the same Sylvia. Maybe I had to leave to come back um, 20 years later, a different person and maybe with a lot more to offer. In terms of a moral obligation, uh, I'm not a very charitable person, I have to say. This is something that I don't like about myself. So you wouldn't say that I'm kind. And so one of the things that I really want to do here is sort of um, utilize my resources for the people who need it. 
And so I'll definitely be taking on refugee cases uh, for, for Syrians who are here. Uh, and that's pro bono that we will be doing. And also helping young girls, uh, for instance, the, the maid that comes to clean my house uh, is someone that doesn't speak any English, she has no computer skills. And it's just a question of financing that education for her. It doesn't cost that much for her to get these things. And it will make such a big impact on her life. Um, so definitely that's part of my plan. And I feel like it is part of my obligation if I'm going to stay here, which I plan to do. Under, under what circumstances do you imagine you might move away from Egypt again? Um, a revolution would be great for business. So I am not... <laughs> I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I guess, um, I don't know, actually. I really don't know what the situation would be. This is home. So where do you leave home in a crisis? I don't know. Even with a Dutch passport, I can leave. I can leave Egypt and go to Europe. But go to Europe and do what is the question. And to who? Home is here. This episode was co-produced by Rezana Zayani with editorial support from Ramzi Bashur. Special thanks to our guests, Sylvia, Tariq Husni, and Alat Sha'er. If you want to hear more of Sylvia's stories, definitely check out her Facebook page called The Cairo Chronicle, where she's documenting her ongoing adventures. We're linking to it on our website, kerningcultures.com. Just look for this episode page. And we want to hear from you. Where is home? And have you ever had to make the difficult decision to leave it? Let us know your experiences and thoughts on emigration, brain drain, and whether you think we owe anything to the places that raised us. Join in the conversation on Facebook or Twitter or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Kerning Cultures. Mm-hmm.